Welcome to the PKN Podcast, where we give you the wrap on all things packaging. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the PKN Podcast. I'm Grant McCarran, and this episode, we're going to introduce you to PKN and also have a chat with uh, Professor Pierre Pienard, the president of the World Packaging Organization. Today, I'm joined by Lindy Hewson, managing editor and publisher of PKN and the host of this podcast. Lindy, how are you doing today? I'm very excited to be here, Grant. How about you? Yeah, I think as the first episode, there's always a bit of excitement, a little bit of nervousness, but uh, I think we're going to make this one work. It's uh, looking to be quite an interesting topic for today and ongoing. And of course, to help us with this topic, as I mentioned before, we're being joined by Professor Pierre Pinard, President of the World Packaging Organization. Welcome to the show, Pierre. Thank you very much, Grant, and to Lindy. Wonderful to be here. I so enjoy these interactive uh, sessions. It's It's all about getting more people to know about packaging. And this is exactly what this is all about. Well, with that, I'm going to pass over to uh, Lindy, because as you said, all about packaging. Well, that's PKN in a nutshell, all about packaging. But uh, Lindy's going to give us the background and info. So PKN has been all about packaging for the last 60 years this year. We've been part of the Yaffa Media Stable for that long. And over the years, we've covered Australia's packaging industry. We've had a couple of name changes, but PK and Packaging News is the brand that's well known in the market. It's a respected and widely read industry voice of all the packaging supply chain. We are known as the business to business media voice. We dish up the industry's news on companies and products, design, innovation and technology. And we do it on, across a multiple number of platforms. We have our print magazine, our online websites, e-newsletters, video, and now, very exciting, our first podcast. So um, in my time as editor on the magazine, about 15 years or so, uh, we've reported on the rapid changes in packaging, and we've followed the industry as it's evolved through the ages of consumerism, environmentalism, sustainability, and now, very exciting, the age of digitization and smart packaging. And we have also seen that transformation is happening at breakneck speed. The industry is adopting automation, it's embracing the industrial internet of things, and it's looking for more sustainable ways to run operations and produce packaging that can meet the requirements of a circular economy. I think it would be fair to say, and I'm pretty sure Pierre would agree with me, it has never been a more exciting time to be in packaging. So, Pierre, you are my longtime friend and colleague. You're also an avid reader and supporter of PKN. Perhaps you can Give us a little bit of insight on why you read PKN. You know, in, in the role that I have currently within the WPO, one has to stay abreast across the world, more so now during COVID-19 than, than ever before, because I'm not getting to all those countries like it has been the case for the last couple of years. So the only way is to glean that information from magazines, from various media reports online uh, to ensure that I remain abreast because it keeps flying at one. Every day there are inquiries from somewhere around the world and the last thing that you want to do, I guess, as president is to say, well, um, you know, I've never heard of that before. I mean, at least you should hear about it, maybe not know about it. But at the same time, I... um, I give a lot of credit to the support team that I have around me around the world, as uh, as you well know, Lindy, and 
they are a constant source of uh, information because those key players are positioned uh, on every continent across the globe. So um, I think I thought, Grant, that I might like to share with you and with some of the listeners that um, my history with Pierre goes back quite some way. He is what I would describe as a packaging evangelist and an educator extraordinaire. And he's always, as long as I've known him, had a passion for all things packaging running through his veins. So he's made huge strides in advancing packaging education around the globe. And it's something I know that is still close to his heart in his current role as the president of the World Packaging Organization. So we met in South Africa, Pierre, in the 1990s. You might not remember, I do, <laughs> at a training course on pharmaceutical packaging. Now, Pierre at the time was involved in the South African Institute of Packaging. He also was the president of that institute for some time and incidentally has also been the president of the Australian Institute of Packaging. So, you know, he's had a steady climb to the top of the World Packaging Organization. And on that particular day, I can't actually remember what we were, we were learning about in, in pharmaceutical packaging, something to do with cough syrup. But um, what I do remember, though, and which has stuck with me all this time, is the impression that Pierre made on me as an educator and a contribute, committed contributor to the wider industry. So I thought, Pierre, it would be really nice for us if you could tell us about your role um, at the World Packaging Organization and what the WPO's overarching mission is. Your, your question is two parts. So the first part is, um, what is my role? My role is actually quite easy, uh, and that is just uh, ensuring that everyone else in the organisation does what they're meant to do. Uh, but at the same time, at the same time, it's such a fun time. I, I have a lot of fun on on the WPO, and I'm going to use that acronym uh, standing for World Packaging Organisation. On the WPO, it, it's it's just as exciting now as it was last year or the year before. There's a slight uh, swing to it in terms of COVID-19 and the impact it's having on packaging directly and also indirectly. But the support that I get from certainly from the executive team and from the board across the world uh, helps me to fulfill the goals uh, that I set back in Rio de Janeiro in uh, November 2017. And they're fairly simple. They're simple to say. They're slightly more difficult to um, act out. And the one is to reduce food waste across the world. And I'll come back to that in the course of our chat as to how we're doing that. Um, then to reduce the packaging waste. And again, across the world, some areas of the world more so than others. And increase the global awareness of packaging to the everyday consumer. Now, all three of those, they're there's a part that education plays in each of those three parts. So education is not a standalone sector of our organization. It's very integrated into my three main objectives. Um, and I would be more than happy if I reach the end of my term and, and we fulfill those goals or at least done, made a huge impact in those areas where those goals need to happen. Now, understandably, we have a problem in certain areas in the world and others it's not, you know, and it might address ever so slightly here. But last week, for example, one of the things I, that I do, and I really enjoy doing it, and as Lindy correctly said, passionate about it, and that is education, but educating the little ones. 
It's not educating you and I, Lindy. We know what we shouldn't be doing. We might not be doing it, but we know what we shouldn't be doing. But those lessons, grade one I'm referring to, grade two, grade three, and for the last 14 years now, I go into schools uh, across southeast Queensland and give class twice a year to those different grades. And last week I was in grade one. And uh, they like sponges. They absorb all this information. But they are the ones that we need to convince because if the grandparents are doing the wrong thing, believe me, little children, their grandchildren, if the grandchild tells, you know, the grandfather or grandmother, this is how we do it, we don't drop our papers in the street or we, we don't put them in the wrong wheelie bin, then they'll listen. So that's where we need to start. And if we can, if we can influence more people at a young, impressionable age, we have gone a huge way in solving this problem of packaging waste and food waste. So, Pierre, you looking, I mean, I completely agree with you, starting, starting young, getting the message across, preaching to the converted. So our industry is not necessarily where we want to do, where we want to go. But for some of the big problems that we face in the packaging industry, we really do need to get more of a, a broader consumer understanding of the value of packaging, of the role of packaging, and that packaging itself is not actually the problem. It is actually part of the solution. I've heard you say that more than once. So <laughs> you're looking at the packaging industry and its issues on a global scale. There must be hot-button topics, um, obviously, right now. One of them has to be the, the P word, pandemic. There are. Uh, and I want to make sure that the listeners uh, are understanding exactly where we are coming from within the WPO. So, you know, we you may or may not know, but we interface uh, hugely in some key areas and within key organisations. So we have a very good working relationship with the UN through their UNIDO arm. They're based out of Vienna. And our headquarters for WPO is also Vienna, which is quite useful in uh, in the close relationship that we have. So when one looks at food waste and packaging waste, we work closely with the UN and, and UNIDO in going into areas where, uh, and unfortunately, predominantly, emerging areas or emerging markets, as some call it, uh, or developing countries, they have different terminologies for the same thing, and focusing there on particular projects that will improve the packaging and therefore reduce the food waste. But at the same time, as you correctly said, this misleading aspect regarding that plastics is a problem. And, and you know, I can't emphasize more. And, then, and the good thing about last week is that I came away and when I was saying goodbye to all the little ones, they told me that plastics is not the problem. I said, you've got it. We, and then I said, and what is it? And they said to me, it's the solution. I said, now all you have to do is tell your grandparents that as well and your parents. And so you can see how easy, how easy you can influence them. A lot of folk have the wrong, the wrong understanding on this whole picture because if we take food, for example, in principle, we have sufficient food to feed everyone around the world. No one has to go hungry. That's the theory behind it. I mean, that is the theory. However, we have the food that is being wasted in the wrong place. And I'm not saying a packaging can solve all those problems regarding food waste, but the UN has a prediction, and in terms of um, modeling, that they could, we could solve to up to 25% of the food waste problem through packaging. 
And that's a significant amount. Now, we know that the that figure is around about 35%. There are some areas it's as much as 50%. And there's some areas where it's as little as 20%. Is that the food waste figure? The food waste figure, uh, according to the United Nations. And, and so a lot of our data that we use, we, we glean from them. But on average, it's about 30 to 35%. Now, if we can eliminate 25% of that through packaging, then we're only at 10%. I mean, that's a massive way in, in solving the problem. At the same time, if we, if we want to not waste any food or waste less food, then we need the type of packaging that will be able to do that. So in some cases, it might mean different packaging or specialized packaging or enhanced packaging. And therefore, you might say, hang on, if you're going to use more packaging, and now I'm going to touch on the pandemic, because we are using more packaging at the moment, and there's some figures that have been thrown around the world. I don't know how accurate they are, so I don't want to quote them, but they predicting there has been a, a, a significant increase in the use of packaging because of your fresh food, like your uh, fruit and veggies, that we were quite happy to have on the open market. In some countries, they are not allowing that anymore. I find here in Australia, we're still allowing that to happen in our supermarkets, but there are some countries around the world that they're not allowing it, so they're using more packaging. Now you're saying, but hang on, now you you are, when does the sustainability aspect come in? Because you're using more packaging, you're going to use up more resources. And you know, I have to say, that the prediction on the path that we're going, if, if you if you look at the that path of uh, the, the, what we're using in terms of our natural resources is by the time we get to 2050, we would require just short of three Earths. Now, you and I know there is no such thing. However, if we get our sustainability aspects correct and we do all the good things for certain economy, then by 2050, we will be back on, on track for one Earth. So we, Really, we have no, there's no other solution other than we have to be more sustainable with our packaging use and we've got to revert to a certain economy because you and I might not be at 2050, but our children will be. And so we need to fix it. So we've, you've touched on quite a few things there and probably I think three important points to make. One is that um, when we say plastics is not the problem, it's the solution, we're not saying that the plastic waste is not a problem. We're acknowledging that plastic waste is a problem, a packaging problem, but that packaging itself is part of the solution to prevent food waste. And that plastic can, if correctly implemented in a circular economy, plastic can become a resource. It can be recycled, it can be reused, and it becomes a resource that way. And that's where we need to aim ourselves or get ourselves down on that path if we're looking at sustainable packaging design, sustainable packaging use um, going forward. But that packaging is very much part of what we need because as the pandemic has proven and other things have proven, packaging is a way to protect products. It's a way to protect people. Absolutely, absolutely. And therein lies the, the problem and the solution. Because as more plastic, and let's use the word plastic, I mean, I realize there are other materials as well, but we're talking plastic. Once we've taken the contents out of that plastic, what are we doing with that plastic? Therein lies the problem. I was in Europe last year for an extended period, 
but it was mainly on a fact-finding mission, uh, and I spent three months abroad. But I went to numerous countries uh, for WPO, and I have to say that I was pleasantly surprised. I remember one place in the south of Italy, uh, near a wine, uh, a wine industry, and uh, we were having something to eat, and these two little kids were having their own little something to eat on the table near us, and I can see they had a lot of uh, plastic items, uh, plates and uh, knives and forks and cups, etc. But I could also see that there were varied plastics they were using. And so I said to those that were with me, I want to watch this one. I want to see what those, and the one was about five years old, the other was about seven or eight years old, a little girl and a little boy. The little girl was older. And when they came to finish their food, they politely, at that point, I watched to see how much interaction there was going to be. In other words, the, the sister telling the little brother, this is what you must now do with your, um, you know, your, your, your utensils. There was no talking at that point. They both picked up all the items. They walked over to these five different bins. Without fail, they put each one, each of the utensils in the correct bin. That told me it can be done. I think it comes down to the education at the beginning, but also unpack education, ways for brands to communicate what the recycling instructions are as well. And I know that in Australia, we've been embracing that with um, the Australian recycling label. A, a number of brands have got on board with that. What do you think of that as a feature? Absolutely. The more, you know, I come back to one of my, remember one of my um, objectives is to increase global awareness. And it's quite an open-ended statement. Now, part of that is global awareness of the waste of packaging. So if we can educate, which brings, you heard the word education, if I can educate more people, no matter how I educate them and no matter who they are across the world, all the demographics involved, and we can get to a point where they are putting the correct items in the correct uh, bins for recycling, bingo, we've solved a huge amount of our problem. But I can tell you, and I'm not going to mention countries, but there are many countries and some of them are not too far from Australia, they are not doing the right thing. I think it also comes down, Pierre, to the infrastructure, having those bins there in the first place, having the infrastructure that backs up those bins. And the recycling processes. Uh, for instance, in Australia, we've got the bins, but and recently when China stopped accepting uh, recycling materials, the question was asked, well, what are we doing with it? We're, we're segregating, we've, we've educated everyone to do it, but now... The back end isn't there, and exactly as Lindy said, the infrastructure. And yeah, I was I was actually going to raise that as a question because we're we're educating people, we're setting up the different bins, but it's all that back end, and then what happens and having the industry behind it to actually process and do the recycling. So, Pierre, does does the WPO get involved at all in in recycling industries? I know you've spoken to a number of people on it here and abroad. Do you get involved in helping people set up infrastructure or advising them? We, we embed with a number of countries on a regular. When I mean regular, there's some that I meet with once a week with a, various consortiums in, in various countries, and we talk about recycling. How can they do it better? Uh, you know, we, we have, within the organisation, we have the expertise of helping them, but they've got to end up doing it themselves, and that's important. It's got to be workable and understood and implemented by that particular people from that country. One of the things that I do uh, often in all my travels, but clearly not since um, COVID-19, 
in, in various countries, I, I've met on numerous occasions, normally with the trade industry minister or the environmental ministers of those countries. That they, in most cases, have, in terms of the hierarchy, they have a certain amount of influence that will help our cause. Unfortunately, for many countries, it becomes a bit of a political game in which, you know, will that win them enough votes for the next election? So we have some fragmentation in certain parts of the world when it comes to that. But in all the cases, I can't even think of one case where they, they the, the trade ministers or the uh, environmental uh, ministers, uh, don't agree with the fact that something has to be done. And that uh, scenario, that picture that I painted, which is not from me, uh, it, it was from the UN, that by 2050 we need three Earths if we, on the, on, if we remain on that same trajectory that we're on at the moment. When they hear that, and I want a slide that puts that up that I was given, when they see this slide, the penny drops, because then I, I, I tell them, all of you, you might not have children, but you probably have nephews and nieces that are one generation below you, and they will experience bad decisions that are made now. Not have been made, forget about what has been made, the decisions we are making today will impact our children. Now, do you want to go to your deathbed and have that hanging over you that you could have made a better decision. And that is why I'm passionate about what I do, because I know I can make a difference in this world. And I've got the right people around me to help me do it. And, I, and I've got access to the right people across the world in the different governments. So what are, what are some of the roadblocks um, when it comes to sustainable and maybe sustainable packaging design? I know I've heard you say to me before as well, uh, you know, we can, we can put a ma the man on the moon, but we can't get some of these simple design features right when it comes to making sure that a bottle and its cap are both recyclable in the same stream? You know, Lindy, when you said that, uh, it's music to my ears. Because number one, when I talk to you, you must be listening because you tell me I'm, I'm encouraged. And that's exactly right. I use the man on the moon scenario. Uh, the high tech versus really basic stuff and, and we're, not, we're not doing it. And a lot of it, a lot of it is either naive, they just don't know better, and I have to say, because I've come across it, that there are many folk in large organisations, some of them multinationals, where the person who is heading up their packaging development department, unfortunately, doesn't have the necessary qualifications to carry out that function suitably. It's as simple as that. The ARP can help. The AIP, just wanted to clarify at that point, the AIP is the Australian Institute of Packaging and PEER is the Education Director for the Australian Institute of Packaging. The Australian Institute of Packaging is the peak professional body that's educating packaging professionals in Australia. And they've done a lot of groundwork in making sure that um, not only do packaging professionals have access to various courses that they can learn stuff from, but also they work in very close collaboration with many of the important organizations that are driving the sustainable packaging change, like the Australian Packaging Covenant Organization. A lot of these um, might sound like jargon um, names and so on, but for people in the industry, they're across all of this. And I think um, the point that Pierre is making about the AIP 
being a peak education body is is important when it comes to big brand owners making sure that their people have got access to the right sort of skill um, and skills and training. And, and well said, because there's no shortage of education offers or possibilities in this country. And, you know, if we take 2019 and this year, we have trained more people in the last 12 months than any other 12 months prior to this. So I have to acknowledge, and, and, and I'm really pleased, because it fits in well within the global uh, objectives, and that is educating more people. So Australia is doing a great job in it. Our main problem, unfortunately, we don't have the numbers. <clears throat> this is something that where the government has to play a part. And as you may well know, we, we discussed that at the, at the Plastic Summit on the 2nd of March, and uh, the government did say that uh, they acknowledge the fact that more infrastructure has to be put in place for us to be able to do what should be done, and they acknowledge that, and the environmental minister was there, Senator Susan Lee. So there is no reason for our country in coming in coming periods, call out a couple of years, that we will have the infrastructure. Because at the moment, we're only 25 million people. So um, I agree. And the government has, in fact, put their money where their mouth is. And they have come forward and supported uh, a number of uh, recycling, let's say, funding that, they've, that they have put forward. So that is, that is really good news. So the, the thing that I want to bring us around to talking about now is that um, in order for us to bring about change in the packaging industry, we need clever minds, we need innovation. And a lot of companies are actually working really hard at making material changes, sustainability changes, um, and creating packaging that will make a difference. And the World Packaging Organization on its part, is recognizing those companies. You guys have developed the World Star Packaging Awards over time, which have really taken off now. And I'm very excited to see, or we were very excited to report, that in this year's awards, in this round of awards, the Australia and New Zealand uh, region took home a collective 18 awards, making us the third most awarded region in this year's awards. So can you tell us a little bit about the program and what it means um, for companies around the world who have won this award? I need to just tell the listeners so that there's no misunderstanding on this aspect. I might be the the president of the organisation and I might reside in Australia. That doesn't give any uh, reason as to the fact that Australia has won the third most world stars in one year. I'm not a judge on on it on the program. I, I sit in on it and listen, but I'm not uh, to make sure that there's fair play. But I, I don't I don't ever vote in that um, in, amongst the judges at all. So I have nothing to do with it. But what I can say is there are a lot of people behind the scenes in Australia that have been pushing very hard right from the start in terms of. Number one, making sure that people are trained so that they can do their job correctly and, and, and select the right designs and the right materials and so on. And then there are those that are encouraging people to come up with new designs and when they do so is to put them into the national program here in Australia. And then once they've done that, to encourage them again to enter into a global platform. And... You saw in 2018 when we um, we had the World Star Program, yeah, and you attended it. So you saw that the 
the level of interest from around the world about that program and, and how many, how many flew in from around the world to witness that occasion. And as you know, for those who won a world star, they only get about 30 seconds or something, maybe one minute max on the stage. But yet it's that appreciation and recognition that they get on a world platform for that benefits their companies. Because what we often have found in the case, uh, I've got an example in Turkey as, as, an, as a very good example, where a particular company, they focus on designs and make sure that they win on their national program so that they can enter world stars because for them, the more world stars they have, the better recognition they get in their country, the better their sales are, and it's easier for marketing. So there's no question, and it has grown, you're right, and it's grown enormously. It would take the number of people getting involved and entering now as opposed to a few years ago. It just it just gets more and more and more across the world. And now the exciting thing about this is we are getting countries that have never partaken in this before now wanting to start a national program in their own country so that they can come along and enter the world program. So there's no doubt in my mind it will just get better and bigger year by year. So you did say that you weren't the judge, <laughs> but with, when it came to the Special President's Award, which is named after you, um, we did have a win from an Australian company, Plantic, and this is the first time that an Australian New Zealand entry has won that special award. So can you tell us just briefly what innovation they won for and what made them stand out to the judges? Well, you know, the, I can't tell you what, other than what the judges are in reading their, their comments, sure. I have to say it probably one of the more difficult decisions that one has to make, and I know that might sound a bit cliched, I'm not quite sure, um, in, in trying to take all these in, uh, winners and uh, try and find something that stands out. And for me, it's something that stands out that makes a difference that will make a difference to you and I and everyone else in the world in the packaging space. Coming up with a new uh, innovative solution, uh, and it doesn't have to be a rocket science solution. We have had uh, ones that are, are, are very simplistic. If you take the Brazilian entry, for example, and, and where they standardize their, their bottles so that it, it helps in the recycling process and the reusing process and so on, that all benefits all of us because what happens? It's less on the on the impact on our environment, so it fulfills our sustainability aspects. And this is where we, the WPO, is focused on, is making sure that uh, we we ensure that we, people are encouraged to look at the sustainability part. Now I know that we throw that word around all over the place, but we cannot get away from it. Remember the three Earths I told you. You go away from this interview and you will not forget the three Earths. So next time you go to your rubbish bin, make sure you throw it in the right place. But I haven't answered your question yet. That solution in relation to the materials that they used is groundbreaking because I can tell you that in, in the, in the months and the, and the few years from now, you'll find many, many other companies now coming on board doing a similar thing. Plenty led the way in being able to do it. And you know, we use a lot of trays for so much stuff. 
in, in food packaging. But to, to come up with something in that particular space that's going to solve a huge, and have a huge impact potentially on the three earth scenario. So just for the, for the listeners, um, Plantic Solution was called the Neat Meat Tray. And it used the Plantic RV high barrier skin pack recyclable material, which replaced the previous non-recyclable tray um, that was also made from a black plastic material. So what was important was that the pack combined sustainability and performance. And um, it is biodegradable, renewable barrier plastic combined with polyethylene terephthalate to make a material that's not only ultra high barrier, but also allows customers to extend the shelf life of their product, so reducing food waste, which, Pierre, brings us back full circle um, to what you talked about in the beginning, the importance of reducing food waste, the importance of being sustainable, and, of course, in times of, of COVID um, as well, adding to that whole shelf life extension and the safety of the packaging. So, um I mean, we could go on talking about this ad infinitum, but we're going to need to to wrap it up here. So I wonder if you could give us some final thoughts um, to leave us with, apart from the three Earths. <laughs> yeah, 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 you know, uh, I, I'm just getting into the swing of it now. I'm just getting into the swing of it and now I have to bring it to an end. You know, you said, uh, or you, you said earlier on in the, in the piece that... Uh, it's a very exciting time to be in the packaging world. And it is. It's an exciting, but it's also very challenging. And I really use that word challenging. And there's another word I'd like to use, but in the true sense of the word. And that is, it is truly awesome. Awesome in the fact that it is, we've got massive problems out there. But you know what? We also have the solutions to those problems currently. And it's a matter of everyone not just the three of us that are involved in this discussion today. It's everyone getting involved and doing their little part at home, in the kitchen, with the wheelie bins, at the dump sites, uh, all, all those little parts, and most of all, to ensure that we carry this information across to our children. And for some of us, that are grandparents, to carry it across to our grandchildren. We owe it to society so that I can one day sit back and say, well, I did my part, I made a difference. Look, that you can see there it's working now on its own. And if I can get to that point, I will be so happy and know that I fulfilled my obligations while I run the, the WPO. So, yes, Pierre, I just wanted to say, well, we as PKN, have long um, enjoyed working with WPO and, um, of course, with the Australian Institute of Packaging and all the other bodies. And we look forward to bringing many more good news stories from the world of packaging. We take up the challenge. We'll bring awesome content. Um, and thank you very much for being with us today. Uh, we've really, I've really enjoyed this chat, and I won't ever forget the three worlds. Wonderful. It's been great to be with uh, both of you. Uh, thank you for uh, PKN News. Thank you for bringing up-to-date news stories to us. It's, it's one of those magazines that I truly look forward to every month. So thank you. Fantastic. Thanks very much, Pierre, and thanks, Lindy. And with that, we'll close this episode and we'll be back shortly in the uh, pod stream for episode two. Thanks, everyone. You've been listening to the PKN Podcast. 
produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of PKN Packaging News, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of PKN Packaging News, Yaffa Media or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast audio, please contact us via the website or send an email to editor at packagingnews.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's packaging industry at packagingnews.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast.